happen with the um, talk, like I said, talk a little bit about a manifested son and the importance that blood had to flow. Now, the first thing that I want to say is that God didn't need blood to wash his own mind. Neither did God need a blood sacrifice in order to forgive us. And then I want to define forgiveness as God deciding not to keep something against us because we've harmed him. Let me say it again. Uh, we have defined forgiveness as something that God had to do in his heart as we forgive people that has wronged us. You know, when, we wrong, when people wronged us, we forgive them in saying, listen, I am not going to be angry with you. I'm not going to think of the wrong thing that you've done or how you've harmed me. And that we can get right uh, to, a, to a great degree just by human willpower, where we can just look at the situation, we say, let, me, let us put that behind us and continue. Now, uh, when it comes to forgiveness between God and man, the f that kind of a forgiveness is not even needed because God has never been caught up in bitterness or anger when Adam and Eve sinned towards him. He never thought that Adam and Eve need to pay for their sins. Uh, although, and you know, uh, animals died and Adam and Eve was clothed with a skin and that is how God actually came and approached man, covering their nakedness, clothing them with the life of another, of an animal. In the very same way, it was just a type and a shadow, or it is actually just a type and a shadow of Christ, where God said, listen, even if you stand naked, even if you stand at a place where you don't have the ability to live the God life or the holy life by your own works and attain unto eternal life by your works, I will clothe you with the life of my son. And that is how I will clothe you. I will clothe you with my life. That's what he was saying. Uh, Jesus gave his life and what came from that life we were clothed in. So what God was saying to Adam in the beginning, just after he sinned, the first thing he did was he said, I don't want you to clothe yourself. I want you to be clothed with my life. And I will provide life for you. That was the word from the beginning. It was difficult in the Old Testament to see, but um, in the new, in, or when Jesus came to the earth, he came and really in the clearest form manifested that voice. He manifested that power. He manifested that truth that he said, I will clothe you with my life. And isn't God awesome? Uh, the voice to sinners is the voice of somebody that has just disobeyed him is not, you dirty, rotten sinner, I'm going to punish you. No. He said to him, listen, even if you have committed this sin and this sin has consequences, I want to tell you the end of this. Um, although I said to you that if you eat of this, you will die, I will even conquer the death that this system brings over you, and I will clothe you with another life. I will give you my life. That was God's word to people that has just sinned. We even this morning, and I think I've mentioned it last time, when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, um, he was baptized uh, into the sin of man. That is what that baptism was all about. Now, there are some other significant uh, fulfillments of types and shadows and prophecies in the Old Testament that 
also took place there, but one of the greatest to me is when Jesus uh, fulfilled the type and the shadow of the scapegoat. Uh, he went into the baptism of John, which was the baptism of a sinner. He was baptized as a sinner, although he had no sin. And in doing that, he, he fully identified with the sin of man. And when he came out of that water, and when, when he would say, well, I've baptized myself, in, I've immersed myself into their life, into the fullness of their sin, when he came up out of the water, something astonishing happened. And I didn't really, uh, I didn't really understand all of that the first time I, I read that. And for many years I didn't understand that. But as God started to show me how he loves sinners, I could see what took place there and the message that God tried to convey. When Jesus came up out of the water, a voice came from heaven that did the unimaginable. And the following came from heaven. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, you know, if you look at John, John was baptizing in the Jordan River, and he saw Jesus as the Lamb of God that had no sin, that was righteous and all those kind of things. And he twice said, Behold the Lamb who takes away this. Well, once he said, Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Second time he said, Behold the Lamb of God. So, um, he knew that Jesus was without sin. And when Jesus came to be baptized by him, he couldn't, it was above what he could ever have thought. But I think when the Spirit of God came onto Jesus in the form of a dove, after that baptism, as well as a voice that came and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, I think that would blow everybody's mind. I think that is even blowing the church's mind today. Because we cannot imagine that God would say to people that are in sin, you are beloved, you are mine. You know, it is, it is, um, it is unimaginable. And what we're going to talk about today is the manifestation of sonship. Now Jesus, when he was baptized there, he was the Son of God. But yet, who he was, who, who he really was, wasn't manifested at that point. Who he really was was manifested at a later stage, which I'm going to explain to you, proving his sonship. So, Jesus Christ came, he came to the earth, and he, he, he became a man under, he was born in the likeness of sinful flesh. He actually became sin. He became the fullness of our darkness and our death. And he died, he died our death. He carried our sin. Now, when we see that death, that blood that flowed there, shows us the absolute death and the end of the man of sin. That's why blood was needed. We needed to see a man die and how God would relate to a man that is under the curse of death. Because that's exactly what Adam was under. When Adam sinned, what was the first thing that started to happen to him? He, he started to die. And in the day that he sinned, he died. Um, the Bible says that a thousand years is as one day, and one day is as a thousand years. And Adam almost made one day. At 960, he passed away. So when Adam died, he, he couldn't make a day. So 
exactly what God said became true. He said to Adam, in the day you eat hereof, you will surely die. And um, what we sat with is how would God relate to a dying Adam? How would God relate to us if we die? And that is exactly what Jesus came to portray and what he came to show us. He came and showed us that his heart towards us is that he will clothe us with his life. He will give his life to show us that he can raise us up and give us a brand new life. Glory to God. So um, we, we see, and, and that is just in a nutshell, why God didn't need blood for him, but why God needed blood for us. Uh, many times, you know, like I said before, uh, in I think two, or two years ago, my son broke his tennis racket. I had to go to a store, get another one for him. When I walked into the store, the salesperson said, said to me, Sir, what do you need? And I said to him, I need a tennis racket. It wasn't because I needed one. I don't play tennis, but my son plays tennis. And because I am his father and his provider, I needed it to provide for him so that he can go and play the match he had to play. In the very same way, God didn't need blood. We needed to see how God would relate to somebody that died in sin, and he had to, to, to bring that word out into the open and, into, and clear for all, and that is why he prepared a body that could die as us so that we could see that power and that, uh, um, that, that whole way God relate to us, so that it can enter our unbelief about how God feels about us, and that it can wash our minds from a guilty conscience, as well as from all condemnation and death, so that we can see the hope that there is in God and in His love for His people. Now, um, like I said, or, and talking about a manifested son, Jesus Christ was the Son of God from day one. Uh, when he was born, uh, you know, from Mary, he was already the Son of God. Then, in the baptism of John, we heard a voice that came from heaven which said, This is my beloved Son, showing that, um, that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, <clears throat> when we look at Scripture and um, I'm going to just ask Elena to go to um, John 5:17 so long, just get that ready, and we're going to just change John 5 with Romans 1. Uh, we're first going to do John 5. And let me just read John 5 there for you guys. It says there, uh, But Jesus answered them, My Father works here unto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but he said, that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So what he was saying was that when you call your God your father, you make yourself equal with God. So Jesus Christ, when he was walking on the earth, a man that could become hungry, a man that, um, that uh, had a body that could be tempted, a man that could... Um, that needed to wash, otherwise he would smell. A guy that could lose his temper, a normal man that had a mother of this earth that grew up as a carpenter's son that worked with his hands to earn an income, a guy like that came and called God his father. Now that 
according to the Jews, was blasphemy, because should you call God your Father, you, are, you, you say that you are equal with God. You say that you are equal with God. And we don't want to, um, I, I mean, if you look at a person and you say, well, I'm equal with God, it is just like, what's wrong with you? You don't, you don't look like God. I mean, you're still struggling with this and that and whatever in your life. You, um, you've got financial needs. Sometimes you're hungry. Sometimes things don't go your way. And you want to say you are fully equal with God. Now, here was Jesus, a man that was equal with God, but there was no proof that he was equal with God because he was becoming older. I mean, if, if Jesus waited until he was 40, I'm sure he would have had gray hair. He would have become gray. He would have had wrinkles. He's, he was just a human on earth. He, he, he was incarnated, the Son of God, into human flesh with no proof that he is the Son of God. Yes, there was a voice from heaven, and the voice from heaven spoke to Jesus two or three times on his time on earth. But even when, when that voice spoke, some said an angel spoke. Others said it thundered. Um, others said God spoke to him. You know, but Jesus could hear, I, I will glorify my name, and I have glorified my name, and you are the Son of God. Everybody didn't always hear what was going on. Um, yet he was. There were some signs that he could be um, the Son of God. There were some signs that the Spirit of God was upon him because he preached good news, he could heal the sick, and, and those kind of things. The Spirit of God was upon him. We could see that, but there was no proof that he was the Son of God. Now, if we read Romans 1, we're going to go to Romans 1, verse 1, and we're going to just read what it means to be a Son of God and how a Son of God was manifested. So here was Jesus, and he was manifested as a Son. And let's see how that took place. Romans 1, 1 says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he has promised afore by the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. How? By the resurrection from the dead. Okay. Now, in order for us to manifest as sons, we need to have immortality in our human flesh. That is the manifestation of a son of God, or to be declared a son. So here was Jesus, subject to frail humanity, while he walked the earth, he called himself the Son of God. He called God his Father. He said, I am equal with God, and yet there was no manifestation that could prove that he was the Son of God. There was not. The only manifestation that there could ever be wherein he could be proven as the Son of God was when God conquered death in his physical body and conquered the sin that, that he carried, which was our sin, by the resurrection. I'm going to read verse, verse, four, uh, verse 3 and 4 again. It says, Concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, 
which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. So in his body he was of Mary, of the seed of David. He says, and then declared in his body to be the Son of God with authority according to the Spirit of holiness. How? By the resurrection from the dead. So the scripture is clear. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God or manifested openly that nobody could doubt that He's equal with God through the resurrection where He has conquered all death. Now why would that be a manifestation of sonship or that we are sons of God? Now, the reason why I say this, and I want you to understand, you might say back to you, where you're going with this. The reason why I say all of this is the following. It is impossible for you to manifest any fruit of being a son of God outside of God bringing forth that fruit in your life. That's what I'm getting at. Um, we can be sons, but any manifestation proving sonship comes from the spirit that raises us up into it. Now when we can believe that, we will be at a safe place where we will not easily fall into the temptation of um, works righteousness, where we, where we try and prove our sonship by our works. Now, <clears throat> the second reason why I talk about this is, I, and, and you must excuse me if I, if I preach out of the mouths of others or out of certain events that takes, takes place in our web church, but as the pastor of this church, I want to see that the flock is protected and that the flock hears the truth. I've seen many quotes, and in my walk with Christ, I've heard many quotes that says, creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. So we, and then the normally the next thing folks say is, since Christ, since creation, we are waiting for Christ, but in the meantime, create, creation is waiting for us. Creation is waiting for the church to wake up and manifest the glory of God. Now, I want to tell you that is a lie. That is not the truth. That is going to bring you into a place where you hear that, that we are the sons of God, and it's now all of a sudden our responsibility to wake up and change the world. I want to tell you, you cannot change the world. Only God can. If, if, if changing the world is up to us, it's never going to change, and it's never going to come into the glory that God has for it. We are awaiting this glorification by the doing of God. So, <clears throat> what this does is, it brings something to our heart. What the teaching that says that, God can manifest sonship in us. God can manifest fruit in us. And even if we see uh, decay in our life, or if we see some things in our life that is not as, it is, as it's supposed to be, um, we can say we are still the sons of God, and our sonship shall be proven in the resurrection. Now what that means is, if a guy comes to you that is, for instance, a Muslim or um, <coughs> a Buddhist or just live by willpower, and he comes to you and says, you know, look at how the world also do good. So what's the difference between Islam and Christianity? Islam also stands for good things, and do you know how many people of Islam or whatever faith there is or whatever 
belief there is, also live good lives as Christians. Then we can say, you know what? At the end of the day, my sonship is not proven by the good life I live. My sonship is proven by if I can conquer death and stand up out of the grave. And I don't know of any religion who, whose God has conquered death in a physical body and was raised from the grave carrying our sin to show to us that I can manifest sonship or equality with God. The only way where you can be equal with God is an immortal body. And the reason why I say that is the following. Remember, if you say you're a son of God, you are saying you are equal with God. That's why they wanted to stone Jesus. Now let's go to 1 Timothy 6 verse 15 and read there. It says, His appearing will be brought about at the right time by God. This is the return of Jesus. The blessed and the ruler... The the, the, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he alone is immortal. His life, he lives in the light that no one can approach. No one has ever seen him, nor can ev ever see him. To him be honor and eternal power. Amen. So what he's talking about here, he's talking about God, and it says there that God is the only immortal. God, which has brought glorification to Jesus in raising him from the dead, is the only immortal. And if you call yourself a son of God and equal with God, you have to possess immortality. That is why Jesus was declared to be the son of God um, with power. How? Through the resurrection, through being raised from the dead. That is the only way wherein Jesus could be manifested as a son of God. Jesus was manifested as a son of God through the resurrection. So now you guys can already know where I'm going with this in Romans 8. And we, um, we're going to read through many verses in Romans 8. And I trust that you will understand what the manifest sonship is. In order for us to manifest as sons or as equal with God, we have to get to a place where our bodies never die. Now, I want to tell you, you can never attain unto that by your own power. The, the Bible says, those who are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. Now, let me just get into that. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Last week, we spoke about what being in the flesh and being in the Spirit is all about. Being in the flesh is trusting on obedience to the law and in the in biblical context in being a Jew in other words this is what it means you are a, you believe first you have to be of the Jewish descent then circumcised on the eighth day and then you could obey the law that is how it worked and those who trust in Judaism was was declared by Paul as in the flesh. Why? Because they were concerned about their flesh. Are they Jews or Gentiles? And then a great thing was the circumcision that took place in the flesh. Now what I explained to you that Paul came in Galatians 3 and he, what he said was that when you believe God, you are in the spirit because God comes and there's no physical thing that you've done and he comes to you as he went to Abraham and he just 
promised Abraham. He said to Abraham, Abraham, I promise you that in you all the nations shall be blessed. And then Abraham believed God. And then after he believed God, he was circumcised. What does that talk about? That talks about God's doing in our lives. If we are at a place where we can simply just rely on God, that He will make us great. And I'm not talking about business and those kind of things now. I'm talking about, in this context, give us eternal life. The moment we believe that, the next thing that takes place is a circumcision. Then God comes and He circumcises our hearts and cuts, he's, He then cuts the fruit of the flesh out of our lives. This morning a lady came to me and said to me, Beth, you know, I've listened to a message where somebody says, you know, we also have some form of power by where we can, we can do certain things. So why don't we just decide and do certain things which is easy and leave the more difficult things to God? You know, one of the things that we cannot change, which sounds easy, is how do you change how you feel about somebody in the depth of your heart? How do you change things like um, what you feel about God? It is impossible. How do you change what you feel uh, about death and the resurrection? Those things cannot take place outside of God bringing it forth. And what God has promised us is this. Listen, don't worry about changing anything. Believe me that I've conquered your death, that I've conquered your sin. You are my sons, and when you believe in that, if, if you are led by that, if you believe that, you are born of God. Your life is born from God's promise towards you. That is what it is. You are called a son of God. And you might see fruit in your life. You will see fruit in your life as God circumcises the flesh. He comes and He brings forth love and joy and peace and generosity and all those kind of things in our life by His doing. Yet, those signs are not, those things are not the manifestation of sonship. It is not what God has said, this is the proof that they are my sons. You know, if we love one another and those things, the Bible says, that would be a proof that we are His disciples. But the proof that we are His sons is not so easy. It is not something you can do. And I want us to go and read Romans 8. There are some, it's a lot of verses I'm going to read, but I want to go through this and we're going to wrap it up. It says, Romans 8 verse 11, it says, But if the Spirit of Him that raised Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the Spirit that dwells in you. Okay, so what does th that verse say? That verse says that if the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, proving that Jesus is the Son of God by the resurrection, will also quicken or make alive... No, with my bad English when I w was in school and I just got into church, I thought that quicken means to make you, make you very fast. You know, like, uh, like uh, Usain Bolt's, that kind of fast, quicken. You know, you're going you're gonna to be quick in the work of God. And I didn't understand. But uh, that word quicken means to make alive from the dead. So he says there that if the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the spirit that raised Christ from the dead, what will that spirit do? Will quicken your mortal body. And that spirit will have fruit in your life 
which is love, joy, peace, and all those kind of things. That's what that spirit will bring forth. Now, with that in mind, what do we need to do in order to have the fruit of the spirit or to be proven as sons? We need to have the Holy Spirit. And what do we do to have that spirit? Is, is simply believe that God, believe God's promise. What is God's promise? Last week we spoke on that. Titus 1, Titus 1 verse 2. And the promise which was before the world was that He would raise us from the dead and give us eternal life, immortality in our bodies. That's what He promised. So when we believe that promise, we are in the Spirit. That's all. We see that promise manifested in Jesus. When we believe Jesus was raised, what do we do when we believe that? Then we are in the Spirit that says God raises the dead. Exactly what Abraham was in. And when that takes place, what happens to our heart? This Spirit quickens our mortal bodies. Okay, then verse 12. It says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to live, not, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, we will die. So you see, he's talking about physical death here. But if we, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, we shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified with Him. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. Simple words, it means there that a creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity or to death, not willingly, but by reason of him that subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. We know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also. We also groan and we are travailing in pain. It says here, not only they, but also us, in verse 23, which have the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to witness the redemption of our bodies. Okay, so what is, this, what is all of this saying? All of this is simply saying the following. God came and His promise to man was that He can conquer your sin and that He can conquer your death. We that believe that, we have a life that is born from this truth. And we find our sonship from God. In other words, when those who are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. What that, what that literally means is, when we, not, we are not walking according to the flesh, we, are, we don't have our lives, we don't owe our birth to the law or to willpower. But we owe our birth, the life that we have, what we see in our life, we owe it to God. So if I come and I say, Jesus Christ died my death, 
And when he was upon the cross, he didn't do anything to end death in his life. He didn't do anything to end the manifestation of him becoming sin unto death in his life. He only trusted the Father to conquer all his sin, to conquer all his death. And he then died and the Father rose him up and he was proven to be the Son of God, equal with God, uh, just like God, by becoming immortal through the Spirit doing that in him. And I'm trusting that 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 promise of God is true towards me since Jesus carried my sin. So because Jesus carried my sin, his resurrection is mine. What happened in him is a truth about me, and I believe that that truth will be manifested by God and by his spirit in my life. The moment I believe that, the moment I'm, I'm at that point in my life where I can truly trust God even with Holiness, bringing holiness to me, bringing the fruit of the Spirit to me, and ending this whole thing in proving that I am His Son, in making me immortal, proving that I'm just like Him. If I do that, I'm not in the flesh. I am in the Spirit. And when that, and those of us that believe that, we are still in a world today wherein we are not seeing the manifestations. We are not seeing the proof of sonship. Yet we know in our lives the change that His Spirit has brought forth in us. And we are seeing the first fruit of this Spirit that will raise us from the dead. Yet we are groaning. I mean, if, if um, I, I saw a, something on Facebook about, I think, three, th there's three major volcanoes in the western parts of the United States, as well as St. Helens, which was the greatest eruption known to us. Um, and there's earthquakes around those, those points, the, those volcanic mountains. And it could erupt any day, and then, you know, all the prophecies that's going about that now and all of that. You know what this is? Earthquakes, natural disasters, all those kind of things. It is, it's, it's creation groaning. It's not creation doing those things. It is we are seeing the shortcoming and the imperfection in creation. And what does creation do? Creation waits. For what? For the manifestation of the sons of God. Creation is not waiting for you. Create, creation is waiting for God to manifest his sons. So, And then the, the verse there clearly says, And as creation groans, we also groan, waiting for the adoption to witness the redemption of our bodies. Now, what does that mean? That's very simple. It means if I see a shortcoming in my life, if I see as creation a groaning, I see a groaning within myself, when I would say, man, I wish that you know certain things wouldn't take place the way it takes place, or I wish for this change, or I wish for certain things, or I'm... Um, I see a, 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 my body becoming older or things like that, just the normal things of this world. I don't have that as a definition of my sonship. When I see that, I know I am still hoping, I am in the hope of what God has promised. That means that the, the, the short little things in this life 
the mishaps in this life all of a sudden has, doesn't have a voice to me anymore because the proof of my sonship is not in what must be done in this earth by me. You know, Jesus Christ, and this will just tie, uh, tie this together so beautifully. Jesus, after he was baptized, you know, he, um, he in his mind, he says, well, uh, I am now fully identifying with the Son of Man. He went into the desert, and what did the devil come and do? He said to him, if you are the Son of God, take the stone, make it a bread. That's what he said. Take the stone, make it a bread, or jump off the temple and don't be hurt. So what he was doing is he was trying to say to Jesus to prove his sonship prior and outside of the context wherein God proves sonship. He said to Jesus, if you are equal with God, he was basically saying to him, prove things that points to immortality. Go and show that you cannot die. You will jump off this temple and you cannot die. The Bible says you, you, will not, you will not dash your foot against a stone. So it takes him to the highest point of the temple. And if you jump down there, you're dead. It says, if you are the son of God, prove right now your sonship by not dying. If you are the son of God, you're dying of hunger here. Prove that you cannot die by providing bread for yourself. And Jesus basically said there... I am not the Son of God by me proving the sonship and conquering death by my ability. I'm the Son of God. I have life by the word that comes from the mouth of the Father. My sonship rests in what the Father has said. And you know what the Father said to Jesus and he showed it through all of his walk on earth? He said, on the third day I will raise you up. That is what he said. That is what it was all about. It was a resurrection on the third day. That is what it was. Wherein God, by the Spirit, would conquer all sin that he was carrying and conquer all his death, which was our death, and he would be proven a son. Now, I want to say this. Let us not go as the church and let the devil tempt us by saying to us, show your signs of immortality. Show your signs of how you are a son of God and your eternal life and all those kind of things. No, the Bible says we are waiting for God to manifest that sonship in us. And I don't want any of us in, our, in this web fellowship to get tempted by the devil to try and manifest your sonship. It's just a voice from the devil. As what Jesus was in the desert and there was a scripture in the heart of Jesus and prophetic understanding that Jesus is the Son of God and that he will conquer death, what did, what did Satan do? Satan said to him, conquer death outside of God conquering it for you. But what did Jesus do? He waited. He waited. How long did he wait? He waited even until he physically died. And what did the Father do? The Father raised him up. So I want to say to you, creation waits for the manifestation of us. Create, of us as the immortal. When we are glorified into immortality, creation itself shall also be glorified. Remember when Adam sinned? When he sinned, then thorns and thistles also came to the land. 
and the land was also cursed and made subject to vanity. So as death came to us, death came to the whole earth. So in the very same way, life will come to us and then life will come to the whole earth. When will that take place? God has come, given us His Spirit, and by His Spirit, He bears good fruit in us by His doing, and us simply relying that He will do it. And by His Spirit, even if we would have died, He would raise us up and conquer death in us, and even conquer the very ability to be tempted by sin in us, in giving us an immortal body. That's what the Scripture says. The Scripture says in John, I think there's one more verse. No, I didn't put that up. Um, sorry about that. But in 1 John chapter 3, Jesus, the, the Bible says, We don't know what we shall be at His coming, but we know we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And that connects to 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, where the Bible says, When we look into the glory of God, we are changed into the very thing we behold from glory to glory as by the Holy Spirit. So I want to tell you, creation is not waiting for you to wake up. Creation and us, we are waiting for God to fulfill His promise to conquer death in our lives in, manifesting, in manifestation. He's already conquered in Jesus, but there will be a day when He will manifest that in us. And what we have now, in the now, up unto that day, as we look into this glory, we find the Spirit bringing forth fruit in us. We find the Spirit bringing forth a ministry. We find the Spirit bringing forth a business. We find the Spirit bringing forth uh, relationships and conquering certain things in our life. And it will end in God proving our sonship, not by the fruit of the Spirit, but by the resurrection. So let none of us go and say, well, because Jesus Christ has now conquered all sin, is now up, and, and we say we are the sons of God, let us not be tempted by the devil, as Jesus was tempted by the devil. Um, and, or let me put it this way, let us be tempted of the devil and conquer that temptation as Jesus did, by not trying to manifest sonship by works. You know what's going to happen? If you try that, you're going to frustrate yourself. You're going to feel, why is creation still going backwards? I'm becoming older. I should have conquered death by now. I should have conquered this sin. I should have conquered that. And you're not going to have peace. You're going to live a defeated life. And you will all the time be conscious of all your shortcomings, of all your arguments, of all your fights, of, of what's going wrong in the world and all of that. Where we who have hope, waiting upon the Lord to be the the omega of the salvation plan and not making ourselves the omega Jesus is the alpha how is he the alpha in the beginning he was it was all about Jesus that would take away our sin and our death we saw that even in the the how God clothed Adam and Eve back then the word that was before time according to Titus 1 verse 2 remember that word of eternal life that word became flesh dwelt among us we saw the word of eternal life it is actually a body that can be physically raised from the dead we saw him start this plan now why will we now come and want to end it by going through hyper faith trying to bring forth hyper fruit hyper miracles hyper everything and you know, just go overboard with everything and not walk in a place where we can rest and trust God to accomplish His work in the earth. So I want to say to you, 
um, I'm not saying you cannot experience anything today. What I'm saying to you, as pertaining to the first fruits of the Spirit, which the Bible says those who believe has, we will experience signs, wonders, miracles, and all those kind of things. But I want to tell you, I don't care what miracle you do, it would never be the manifestation of sonship. It would never be that. So let none of us in this web fellowship and with whosoever you've got to do, fall into the trap of trying to manifest your sonship by your own works. We are awaiting the return of Jesus. There's some folk teaching that Jesus has already returned. I want to tell you that is bull. It's rubbish. Don't believe that. It will, it will just get you back into works. You're just going to become tired again. Because if Jesus has already returned, why is the world the way it is? Oh yeah, then the problem must be ours. We must now get this thing right by our works. My goodness, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be tired again. And then you're going to need the grace message again. And it will just be more difficult the third time or the second time because your subconscious mind would say, I've already heard the grace message, it doesn't work. So let us not fool around with us, but have our hearts established in the finished work of Jesus and know that he has finished everything and, and I want to explain it to you because some people say, you know, Jesus finished it all, so now it's up to us. No, no, that's not how it works. He paid it all. Anything that had to happen in order to set us up for the manifestation of sonship, he's already accomplished, and he will come and manifest the finished work in this earth. That is what he will do. 